0: take a minute to visit rachelcarman.com and join the community of real refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hey there, moms.
1: Boy, I wonder what you're doing today getting ready during this holiday season. It tends to be so hectic, and that is actually why I wanted to do this series. Advent this year. It's six parts. Today, we're going to tackle part number three. So if you missed one and two, make sure you go back and pick those up over wherever you listen to podcasts. The show notes are really helpful. They've got great outlines there so that you can do further study. But this time, we've already looked in episode one, we looked at two women, one barren and one betrothed, looking at Elizabeth and at Mary then last time in episode two in this series, we looked at two men, a priest and a carpenter. We looked at Zacharias and at Joseph. And this time we're progressing through the biblical narrative of the birth of Christ. And this time we're going to take a little look at O little town of Bethlehem.
2: Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day, with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or, what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold.
1: so why was it significant was it significant the when and where and why of jesus birth and i'm going to just spoiler alert here at the beginning say yes yes and yes it is significant and it is important one of the things we must always remember about the biblical narrative we've got the old testament 39 books the new testament 27 books altogether 66, and it all weaves together for one story, God's love for all of mankind and the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to pay our sin price. That's the story. All of the books complement each other. They all weave together. There is no denying that. Well, I mean, you can deny that, but the evidence proves otherwise, and that is that there are Prophecies all through the Old Testament that are proven true in the New Testament. And today we're going to look at one of those. In the Old Testament, there are so many things over and over and over that are pointing forward to the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself still points forward to his return. And that is the hope we have of his return. So let's just dive and step right in today. We are going to pick up our story. Let's catch up on what's happened. We already know the angel first visited Zacharias, told him that he and his wife were going to have a son, name him John. He was going to be the forerunner of the Christ. Then we have the angel who visited Mary. One of the things that we're looking at through this biblical story is all of the incidences of angel visits. There's a total of seven Zacharias was first and then Mary. She says, may it be unto me according to your word. There's so much there to unpack, so many important aspects of her submission and her surrender to being part, to deciding to answer the invitation that was extended to her to be a part of what God was doing in the story of redemption. And then the third Time that we have an angel. We talked about that last time because you'll remember that Mary was found to be with child. And this is a crisis moment because that would have indicated that she had participated in sin, the sin of adultery. And she was betrothed to Joseph, which meant that they should not have had any kind of marital union. And she was found to be pregnant with child. And Joseph, it says in Scripture, was a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her in any way, was just going to send her away. He did not want her stoned, evidently. And an angel came to him in a dream and said, look, it's 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 what she said. The, the baby within her is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and it's good for you to take her. And he did that, and he obeyed. So we have now, after Mary has, you know, she's already gone to visit Elizabeth. They've already had that wonderful time together, three months together that Elizabeth and Mary had. She came back home. Then Joseph has the dream. So we've got Mary back home. John the Baptist has been born. Mary's back home. Now Joseph is on board. And now this decree goes out. So I wonder, is your head spinning? This is not a very simple... A straightforward story. This is intricate in nature. This has a whole lot of moving parts and a whole lot of different things are going on in this story. And I want you to see that because this is real life. I mean, I don't know about your life, but I know my life is really complicated. It's not straightforward, right? I mean, there's this going on and this going on and then there's this and then, oh, well, right, I forgot about that. That's this story, right? There's all these different components, all of these different people, but. There is such clear evidence of God weaving this story. There's nothing here by accident. So we pick up our story in the second chapter of Luke, after that really long first chapter of Luke. It's got 80 verses in it. We finally get to the second chapter of Luke, and it begins like this. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken for all of the inhabited earth. Well, that's a large Order That everyone is going to have to be counted. And you know what I know, the only reason that this was going to happen is it was a tax issue, right? So everyone was supposed to return to their hometown so everybody could be counted, right? And it says everyone was on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph, it says in verse 4, also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David. That's going to be important here in just a moment, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. This is huge. We cannot miss this. We can't just read over verse 4 without pausing to explain a few things because these things are very, very important. So first of all, it's important to know that Joseph is in the line of David. Why is that significant? Okay, we're going to have to rewind and go back to the Old Testament, and we obviously do not have time to chase down every messianic prophecy that is in the Old Testament. A messianic prophecy is a word of prophecy foretelling or prediction of Messiah, to be born in the New Testament. So again, the Old Testament points forward to Messiah. And so we have a couple of those we're going to look today. There's too many to go over, but you can do a search and a really good study Bible. Good study tools can help you find all of those. And it is an excellent exercise. You need to know if you are doubting, this is an excellent exercise for you to undertake, to see how obviously true the Word of God is, that you've got these predictions, these prophecies in the Old Testament that, lo and behold, come true in the New Testament. So we have that. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, in the Second Samuel, chapter 7, ver- well, the whole chapter is this interaction between David and God, and David... So there were three kings of the United Kingdom in the Old Testament. First, there was Saul, then there was David, and then there was David's son, Solomon. So really, super briefly, I can just tell you that we had Saul who had no heart. If you're familiar with the Bible curriculum I wrote entitled, The Word in Motion, this is taken from that. Saul had no heart for God. David had a whole heart for God, and then his son Solomon had a half heart. Well, we pick up the story here in 2 Samuel, and David really wants to build a house for the Lord. That's what he wants to do. But God basically comes and says, yeah, no, your son Solomon can do that, but you've been a man of war. You can prepare for the building of the house, but that is not what I want you to do. However, God establishes a covenant With David in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16. And that's where I want to pick up. It says here, this is the abbreviated version, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So here we have God making a promise to a man, David, saying that I am going to establish your throne forever and ever. This is the prophecy that Messiah will come through the line of David. And there are two geneal- genealogies to look for. The one in Matthew traces this for you, there's another one in Luke. So there is clear evidence in the biblical narrative that God makes this promise to his servant, King David, the highlight of of the United Kingdom in the Old Testament, I will establish your throne forever. And then, lo and behold, he does it in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. This is reiterated in Psalm 86, verses 30, 30, let's look. 35, 36, and 37, Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. So again, these are pointers to Messiah in in the line of David, right? And we have here in this passage very clearly, Luke writes that the reason that Joseph had to go back to his hometown was because David was from Bethlehem. In fact, Bethlehem is the town where Samuel anointed David King of. Over Israel. And so that's where it all began for David, right? And David, we know also was what? Not shockingly, there's a trend in the Old Testament Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. And David, all of them were shepherds. There's something to the act of being a shepherd that God trained his men to lead his people. And David was no exception to that. He was a young shepherd boy. In fact, when Samuel comes... Having been directed by God to go and anoint the next king when Saul is just misbehaving right and left, Samuel goes to Jesse, David's father, and he has all of David's older brothers walk before him, and the holy God says, yeah, no, 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 and they get to the last of the older sons of Jesse, and Samuel says, you got anybody else, right, And Jesse says, well, yeah, I mean, there's the youngest. He's out with the sheep. And Samuel is like, send for him.
2: Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the daily family conversation starter by bestselling author Katie Clemens. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today wherever books are sold. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists. The way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org/impact.
1: And it is David, the shepherd boy who has been out watching the sheep whom God has chosen to shepherd his people. And we see that in Moses. We see it in David. And it's a really powerful imagery that we have. And then you skip to the New Testament in John 10. And Jesus, what does he declare? I am the good shepherd. So see, again, that weaving of the narrative, one story. So we have Joseph... According to the census, must return to Bethlehem, also known as the city of David. This is where David was anointed. This is also where David watched flocks, right? And now, since he and Mary are betrothed to be together, they must, according to this decree, go and be counted according to the census. Now, so a question immediately arises, I would hope for you. It certainly does for me as I consider this trip. Mary's pregnant. So listen, I, I've done that gig seven times. I have seven children. My oldest is 31. My youngest is 18. I remember being pregnant, so pregnant I couldn't see my toes. Is saying something. I've got large feet. I'm tall, but still... And I remember being pregnant and I had a hard time getting comfortable in a, in an easy chair, right? Much less on the back of a donkey. So you've got Joseph now taking Mary and headed to Bethlehem. I did a little bit of research by the distance of that. That's 80 miles. That's not a short distance. That is, that's a far piece, as they say in the South. That's a distance. And so the two of them head out. On this 80-mile journey, some scholars think it must have taken at least a week to go, so they would have had to prepare and pack and get everything ready, and they are headed out, and we know a little bit later in the story, we come to realize just how pregnant Mary is, right? And so she's on a donkey, they've packed everything that they need, and they're headed out, and I just want to tell you, I think there are two places in this story in the Bible where a subtly... God has very kindly affirmed for Mary, right? That it wasn't her imagination. It wasn't just the heat of the day, right? She really was visited by an angel, and the baby within her really was conceived of the Holy Spirit. God gave her that interaction, those three months with Elizabeth. What a blessing. Secondly, God sent an angel to assure Joseph that, indeed, the baby that Mary was carrying was conceived of the Holy Spirit. But I think number three is right here. And again, I think all three of these are kind of subtle, but I think they're significant. The third moment in which I think there's this grace for my, for Mary is right here with the census. I can only imagine the ridicule and the judgment and the gossip that this young couple must have been under because God did not send an angel to everyone in town assuring them that Mary really was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He didn't. He was kind enough to send it as an angel to Joseph to assure him. And, and it says that Joseph took her as his wife, right? And we know that together they left town. But i got to tell you, leaving town seems to me like a gift at this point in the story. Because this was not how she probably thought this betrothal was going to end. See, betrothals often lasted for about a year. And at the end of which, there was actually the, a, a huge grand wedding ceremony and celebration. The whole community turned out. All of these preparations would have been made. It would have been anticipated by everyone. But not this one, right? There was, this was scandalous, There were questions around this one, and it it didn't play out that well. We're not told in the biblical narrative when that took place, but here's the deal. It it didn't happen the way they thought it was going to, right? And so Joseph and Mary get to leave, and they head out on this 80-mile journey to go to Bethlehem. So I see these three moments of God's grace, but I also see something else that I think is worth all of us noting this was not easy. This was not easy. It was not an easy trip. It wasn't an easy trip to plan for. It wasn't easy along the way. This was a challenging thing to undertake. And I'm just going to say, I think that very often as Christians, I know that I am guilty of whining and complaining because life gets hard. But I got to tell you, when I look at the biblical narrative and when I especially look at the circumstances of Mary, if there's one person in the biblical narrative that I could have argued should have gotten a break, right, that things could have stood to be a little bit easier, right, I would argue that for Mary. Why did Bethlehem have to be 80 miles away? And it was. It was 80 miles away. It was a week's travel. And it was dusty. And there were no holiday inns along the way. There were no Chick-fil-A drive throughs along the way. None of that. This was a long, hard journey for a pregnant woman on the back of a donkey. And she and Joseph headed out to Bethlehem. I find it just remarkable, absolutely remarkable, because, you know, sometimes God asks us to go places that are distant and are difficult to get to, and are seemingly remarkably inconvenient for us. And sometimes we avoid trying to do what he's asked us to do, but we have the example here, not, did, not just that Mary said, may it be unto me according to your word, but Mary had the tenacity and the resolve to follow through. I think that's remarkable. And Joseph went with her so we have them leaving town because of the, cen- uh, the census. We have them headed toward Bethlehem, a distance of at least 80 miles. We have them then—I'm um, looking at my notes. The other thing that I find striking about this is the timing of all of this. The fact that she was nine months pregnant— right, when she makes this journey. And so the question comes up, so how do you know that, Rachel? How is it possible that you know that? Well, because basically, if we pick up the narrative again, it says, let's see, what verse do we need? Let's see. While they were, okay, she was engaged to him and she was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. So apparently, they arrive in Bethlehem and within a matter of days— it's time for her to give birth. They weren't there long. Listen, Mary is far from home. 80 miles in this time in history was a long way from home. And it comes time for her to give birth. And there is no mom. And there is no community. This is in stark contrast to the community that Elizabeth had around her when she gave birth to John the Baptist. When Mary goes to give birth to the Son of God, to bear this child that she has carried, it's her and Joseph. And remember, there was no room at the inn They're, they're not in a comfy situation. They are literally in a stable surrounded by animals, right? And I'm again, I'm just looking at this going really 80 miles. That's a long way on a donkey. That's really, really hard for a pregnant woman. And are you kidding me? They get to town and there's not one room left for Mary. Who's going to bear the... the? I mean, let me get this straight. Mary can't even be comfortable when she's bearing the Son of God. Again, look, I, I think you and I fight for things. We want it to be easy. We want it to be comfortable. We want it to be convenient. I don't see any evidence of that. And yet, every step of the way, I see evidence of God's presence and provision for this couple, as they remain faithful to what he has called them to do, what they have participating with with him. See in the fullness of time, Galatians four, four through seven. In the fullness of time, the God that exists outside of time interjected His Son into time on time, on time. This was the moment and Mary brought forth her firstborn son and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and she laid him in a manger. She laid him in a manger. Moms, I know if you're like me, whether you gave birth or you adopted your child, you remember, you remember Wrapping that child and holding that child and looking at that child's face. I remember looking at the face of each one of my children through tears, fighting to get them out. I was pretty sure that a couple of them didn't want to get out, right? And fighting and pushing and laboring to bring them into this world. And then, well, there they are, this brand new person, and this is Mary and Joseph. Do you see it? Do you see how God brought them together? And just the two of them, at least right here at the very beginning, they've had this week-long 80-mile journey, just the two of them. Just the two of them. And now they've got this moment as she labors and brings forth the Christ child. And they have this moment just marveling in the wonder and the glory of Emmanuel. He's here. What worshiping they must have done. What amazement they must have shared that this was the Son of God. Moms, listeners, we need to remember that God's Son was born and laid in a manger. He was humble. His beginning was humble to a young Jewish couple who chose to participate in what God was doing to redeem the world. They were extended an invitation like you and I are extended an invitation to be part of what God's doing to redeem the world, to point others to Him in all we say and all we do. That is the opportunity that God gives each one of us. O little town of Bethlehem. This small town didn't have a whole lot of meaning. It's in the countryside. I think I looked up that it was six miles south of Jerusalem. It's just a small, out-of-the-way place. And that, because it fulfilled prophecy in the Old Testament, Micah 5.2 prophesies that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. God had already promised David that his throne would be established. And here, here, all the way back in Bethlehem, is the fulfillment of that promise that God made to David all of those generations ago in the person of Jesus Christ, the Christ child, the perfect Lamb of God, swaddled and laying in a manger. As we think about this story, as we think of little town of Bethlehem, this quiet little side town that was bursting because of the census this little couple this young couple who came to town needing a place to stay and here's the deal it wasn't in the inn but god did provide a place for them he did just a few things for us to consider we need to dare to welcome christ in this season in our hearts Every day in our lives, we need to make sure that we are celebrating in this season the presence of Christ, the very real presence of Christ, and not wasting our time chasing after the presence and the trappings of this world. Let us dare, secondly, to receive him into our own hearts and our own minds, and to share them. You know, one of the really, really enjoyable things about Christmas is planning on getting someone a gift that you know that they are really going to enjoy, not just something that's trending or something you saw on some social media outlet or something that was on half-price sale, but something that you know, you've paid attention through the year, you've been studying them, you've been plotting and planning to get them that little something that you know, they are just going to be so thrilled to receive. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing more precious, more valuable than we can give other people than the sweet name of Jesus. Giving them the hope that we have in Christ this season and every day of the year to receive Him into ourselves and then to share Him freely and generously with others. Next, we need to dare to anticipate His return. He came once. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas season is his advent, his first coming. But since the resurrection and since his ascension, we are in the last days in anticipation of his second coming. And whereas Mary rode on a donkey into Bethlehem and Jesus rode into a donkey on a donkey into Jerusalem. Just the week before he was crucified on Calvary's cross, he will return a king, a warrior, when he comes back. And his return is imminent. And we need to live in anticipation of that return. And finally, we need to dare to stop reducing God's will to whatever's easy, whatever's comfortable and whatever's convenient. I don't see that example. I do not see those qualifications of the will of God anywhere in Scripture. And yet there are many churches, many of those who profess to proclaim the gospel message, who want to wrap up the will of God in easy, convenient, and comfortable. We need to dare to trust and obey and live faithfully and do what God has asked us to do because He's asked us to do it, to the glory of His name. I'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast.
2: Hey there, it's Carly Mercouillier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.